human first, everything else after. Welcome to What's Betwixt Us, stories of working while human. I'm Lissa Mandel. What's Betwixt Us is a series of conversations about empathy at work, at work. It's about diving into the messiness and the specificity of being human on the job, any job, and how empathy isn't just a nice-sounding buzzword for company PR. It's a rebellious act of remembering that we're human first, everything else after. Today on What's Betwixt Us, I have the delight of chatting with Carolee Crisco, the People Operations Manager at Chaincode Labs and the Content Lead at Hello Bitcoin. Coming from a background in theater, film, and TV as a manager, mine in fact, she moved into the tech industry and found that her ability to empathize and bring warmth to the table helped her overcome the culture shock. We discuss leading by example when it comes to vulnerability, setting boundaries as a woman in tech, and her favorite tools to implement for engagement and well-being. She says, it was actually connecting with people that made me better at my job. Please enjoy episode 28, Making Everyone Comfy with Carolee Crisco. Greetings, listeners of What's Betwixt Us, the podcast about empathy at work. I am so excited to have joining me today um, someone who I've actually known quite a while. Um, she is the People Operations Manager at Chain Code Labs, and prior to that, she was my acting manager, and she's just a delightful person, so please welcome Carolee Crisco. Hi, Lissa. I am so excited to be chatting with you today. <laughs> You're just a ray of sunshine. I love it. I love <laughs> it. I think I, I want to start out by asking this question. Uh, the, the jingle for this podcast is human first, everything else after. And so I was wondering if we could launch on what does that mean to you? What does that bring up to you when I say it? Oh, that's so interesting. So when you say that, I think it's it resonates with me because I transitioned into tech a few years ago, something, an industry I didn't know much of anything about. Mm -hmm. And once I realized that <laughs> how I like care about people and how I can advocate about people that's everywhere it doesn't matter what industry you're in you can always sort of provide this value by putting humans first so yeah. I I definitely can resonate with that just you know that being true in every field mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. totally I mean I agree obviously and uh, I think that you're well, first of all, let's talk about um, what it is that you do as a people operations manager, which is a great title for a role. And I love how they're, the, the, the number of titles for like HR professionals has exploded over the past few years. Totally. Um, so yeah. tell me about what it is that you do. Yeah. So in order to do that, let me just explain a little bit about Chain Code. Yeah. Um, so we are a small Bitcoin research and development center. Mm -hmm. And we, including the founders, there are nine of us and we have the luxury of not having a product We're we're self-funded. So it's basically a group of individuals, primarily developers who sort of self-identify what projects will make the biggest impact to the space. Mm -hmm. um, so basically to Bitcoin technology and just the ecosystem in general. Mm -hmm. You know, it's a really sort of non-traditional company and 
I was actually introduced to the company by a, a former coworker of mine from Flatiron School. And honestly, starting the job, it was a little bit like, basically I, the job didn't quite yet exist whenever I was approached for it. And my now colleague Jonas was saying, you know, we just need to write a JD and then we can, you know, a job description and then we can move forward with it. And I was getting antsy and I was like, you know what, I've, I've written the job description for us. <laughs> so like, <laughs> you just tell me what's wrong, what's right. And truly it's, it's kind of a mix of like employee experience and introducing policies, which, you know, can be challenging to add structure to a place that doesn't necessarily, it's not that they don't want it, they just haven't had it. Right. So, you know, when the pandemic hit, that kind of, it didn't all change, but, you know, sort of building these relationships with people it took a big hit. So my uh, focus kind of shifted towards like educational things. Like I was meeting these people that we were interviewing for our company and they they weren't really ready for it. Mm -hmm. And I was discovering all these beginners in the Bitcoin space mm -hmm. who were super amped, but just needed a little bit more education. And so we started creating these educational programs, totally free to kind of and nurture these like new interested developers. Mm -hmm. So, you know, that's something that like, I never thought I would be working in Bitcoin before I was a chain code. Yeah. I yeah. knew nothing. I had no opinion. And so that was the thing that I had to learn is like, I'm passionate about making people comfortable anywhere. So it's, it's, that's kind of what I've fallen into is kind of helping beginners in this space, then also, you know, providing like the, this, this sort of standard HR support that you would imagine, you know, typically, but we're a small team and, you know, these like super smart developers, they, they don't need a whole lot of handholding. So, mm -hmm. you know, I, it's, <laughs> it's funny, you've asked a question and now I'm just like monologuing, but, um, good, good. That's what it's here. That's what you're here for. <laughs> okay. Uh, but when I first got into tech and it was actually Jonas, the person who I mentioned to introduce me to chain code, I was talking to him and I was like, Oh, you know, what does your wife do? Um, how many kids do you have? And he was like, are you writing a book? Like, why do you want to know this? And I was like, <laughs> I'm just like getting to know you <laughs> just yeah. as a person. And so I think when I come into a room with like super like tech focused people and I'm like, tell me about your feelings. At first they're like, I don't understand why you want that information. Mm -hmm. But then, but then once they, you know, warm up to me, they know that I'm just, I'm just trying to get to know people better so that I can advocate for them or, you know, sort of make sure that they're set up for success. Yeah. And like to, and take care of them better. And see, this is, this is super interesting. And I love to hear it because I also, you know, the, the, the job I'm at now at Zany, which is an app that it, you know, sparks conversation on Slack so that people can get to know each other better in non-work related areas. But I had no experience in tech before this. And something that my mentor and the CEO of Zany, Jumana, talks about with me is this idea of Trojan horsing in emotional intelligence into industries where it otherwise is taken for granted or people think that it's not needed. Oh, and so I feel like your role and, and you as a person are super important to be in this company and to be 
a completely different voice, you know, and different uh, point of view. And have you, since being there, have you seen the culture uh, evolve to, to it to like incorporate more, more empathy, more connection? I mean, you know, it's, it's difficult. It's, it, but I, I want to touch on one thing you said, because mm-hmm. um, before I answer your question, mm-hmm. you know, when you were talking about, you know, bringing in a different skill set, I, I struggled when I first started at, at Chain Code, and even my job prior, uh, that was in tech, because I was like, you know, I, there's, there's no way that I'm going to ever be as technically knowledgeable as the people that I work with. Like, mm-hmm. I just feel like I'm less than, I'm less right. than mm-hmm. the people that I work with. And because these things are such soft skills, it's, it's hard to say, no, I, I bring value, you know, I bring a different value, but I do. And that, that's something that I think I'm still learning, but yeah. So I'm sort of this, yeah, this sort of foreign being alien to all of these people who are buried in code all day but no I mean I don't want to use the pandemic as a scapegoat but I I will say that like when I first when I first started you know it's it's like it's things that are silly but I believe to boost morale like I was like we are celebrating birthdays we're celebrating holidays we're gonna go out we're gonna like do things together and like there was definitely resistance. And I think, you know, I mean, I created a dog channel in Slack that I'm basically the only person that posts in it, but I'm like, I believe in this and I'm going to trudge through. So, no, I mean, I, I think it's changed. I mean, I, it's not like night and day by any means. And I like, look forward to when we get back into the office, like seeing how much further we can go. But I do think that showing up and making it clear that like I want to hear if you have a problem I want to hear if you need help with anything like are you confused about this like I think I've definitely helped but I I would definitely like to make a bigger impact sure and I mean it's true I mean you can use the pandemic as a scapegoat because it threw everything out of whack and especially because you mentioned to me earlier you know that that your company is going to be back in person for sure, that that's a choice that you've made. Yes. And, you know, there is so much data coming out now about like, about how some companies are only going to do the hybrid model from now on. Some companies are going to only work from home from now on. And I'm sure that that changes the dynamics of a culture. I, uh, I want to, so I, I watched the, uh, the Bloomberg live summit on the future of work a couple of weeks ago, which was super uh-huh. interesting. And Jared Spataro, who is, works at Microsoft 365, laid out these statistics that 54%, globally 54% of employees feel overworked and 39% feel absolutely exhausted. Have you, have you noticed that like over the course of this pandemic, like during, you know, with your work with people, like has that contributed maybe? That's, that's, it's interesting because I feel like, first off, our founders are incredibly compassionate. And I think, Mm. I think for so long, so I had started in December of 2019. So it was just a few months before things like shut down. And so they've been kind of amazing, just really saying, just do the best you can. Mm -hmm. And so 
there was definitely not, um, so I feel very fortunate. So I think, you know, some people who, fortunate number one, to still have a job. And number two, that there wasn't this like weird pressure. So I think like they, they definitely provided a space that I felt like was positive for everyone's mental health. So I think, you know, did we get less done probably for a little while? Yes. But like, you know, people are sticking around, people are, you know, now excited to do the work that they're, that they're doing. So I feel grateful that I didn't see that. So we're in a, we're in the other like statistic. That's amazing. That that's amazing. That sounds like mental health was really prioritized from the get-go and that's contributed to retention, which is huge because another stat that he, that uh, this guy brought up was that uh, 41% of people are thinking of leaving their jobs altogether as of December, 2020. And so it sounds like that's not an issue. No, no. Which is like so interesting to me, Um, especially with my, my role is that there were a lot of programs that we weren't able to do. We wanted to do some like international programs. And so I'm eager, like when we get back, I'm like, oh, we can do all of these things that we couldn't do last year, but no. And so I'm very grateful every day that I'm not even remotely interested in, in leaving my job. It's funny because I have had some friends who've quit their jobs during the pandemic without having another one lined up. And that gives me a stomach ache, yeah. but you know, everybody like has to, you know, follow their own path and journey. But yeah, no, I'm also, I'm also pretty lucky to not be in that camp either. Yeah. That's amazing. That's amazing. I want to talk about uh, empathy specifically. And, you know, you, you touched a little bit on, you know, uh, bringing in some of the employees and asking them about their feelings. But I wonder, and you said that the, that the founders are very compassionate, which is amazing. Do you have any, any specific moments or stories that you can recall when empathy showed up uh, just over the course of the past year and what you do, either from you to others or from others to you? Yeah, I mean, you know, we did have two employees, two new employees join us this past year. And before I got there, like they didn't do standups. I mean, it's definitely like anti-meeting culture, which is great. Mm-hmm. I, I'm a little bit like, can we have one just yeah. to like, talk yeah. to each other? But it's great because there's not like these like needless meetings all the time. So I sort of have, you know, encouraged us all to do like a stand-up twice a week. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I've most weeks are just like, tell us, you know, what you've been working on. And, and there are a few weeks where I sort of experimented with like a different prompt, I guess. And, you know, it was, it was one day where I was like, okay, let's talk about our frustrations and our breakthroughs. And, you know, this group of people, they're, they're all very kind, but they're not necessarily like hard on their sleeve kind of people. Sure. But someone that day was like, you know, my frustration is like, I'm having a really hard time in the pandemic right now. Like this is, he was like, I I know it's just a hard day, but I just needed to acknowledge it. And so, you know, it created this conversation where everyone else could be like, that's where I am too, you know? And it just created this sort of kind of empathy for for each other and a space where, people could feel comfortable and free just being like, I'm not actually just going to talk about like 
this, you know, pull request I reviewed on GitHub. Like I'm going to, I'm just going to be honest about how I feel. Granted, those are rare, but because this, this, this group are, you know, a bunch of like incredibly intelligent, sort of emotionally unaccessible at points, that was a big win for me that I've, I, I felt like I helped create a space where people can, you know, can sort of share what they're going through. And I try to, and my coworker Jonas would make fun of me because he's like, I've, yeah, we all know you're vulnerable and we've seen you cry. And I was like, well, <laughs> then people know that it's okay to do the same thing. So um, I like to just, yeah, lead by example kind of thing. Yes, I love that. That kind of brings me to this uh, next question. And I wonder about uh, thought leaders who inspire you or, you know, you talk about leading by example. So who have been people who have been examples for you to follow? So interesting. So I've kind of taken different parts. Like I don't have a specific mentor per se. I will say that whenever I was starting out, actually, whenever I was representing you as an actor, mm-hmm. Davis Spilios, Dale had passed away by the time you started working with us, but um, she was a boss of mine. And <laughs> I remember I, I was crying about something. It, it wasn't, it wasn't like a overwhelmed thing. It was like something was beautiful and I was crying. And <laughs> I remember Dale saying, oh, you're a crier. You have fallen into the briar patch. Like, <laughs> was like this is like, you know, and she just, I watched her be so incredibly genuine with anyone who would come into the office. And so I think I kind of, she modeled for me how you can be this sort of like mushy, sentimental person, but like also like a badass bitch at the same time. Mm -hmm. So she definitely, and because I was like, you know, 22, 23, it was like a very impressionable kind of time. Yeah. So she definitely started it. And then over the years, I, I, I had a, I had a manager at Flatiron School, Lisa, she's now at Facebook, and she sort of showed me, she sort of helped me kind of get myself organized without sacrificing, like, my own vulnerabilities, so I guess, and it's funny, because there have been men, like, that I've looked at, but I just, I don't know, I just, like, connect with the lady spirit. So those are the people who are sort of coming to mind for me. Totally. Well, I think that's amazing. I wasn't even, I wasn't even thinking about, you know, people who have personally mentored you. I was thinking about people like, you know, Brene Brown or Elizabeth Gilbert or people in the space who, who, who drop little seeds of ideas in my head that I want to go and spread to the world. But I love that you had this. Yeah, I see, I mean, and I'm like all I like Brene Brown, Elizabeth Gilbert, Cheryl Strait, like I'm, I'm, you know, Glennon Doyle, I'm all all in on all of those ladies. I I find myself, I don't know. I don't know how much of what I like love about them. I'm able to act on, I guess. I'm just more so, I, I, I think the way that I am is much more influenced by like the people who've just been in my life and right. those, those ladies that you mentioned are sort of more like supporting arguments, if that makes any sense. Totally, totally. But that, yeah, I mean, of course, because your personal experience is going to be what shapes you the most, your personal yeah. experience with other people. Yeah. Well, uh, since you already have sort of 
gone back on the timeline, um, I would love to use this as a launch point to talk about, you know, the other, the other places that you've worked and the, this, the things about empathy that you've learned and experienced specifically, you know, I, when I started working with you as an actor, like I remember the first meeting that I came in and met with you and Harris felt so right. And, and I think that's really rare in the representation space, like to, to find somebody who you really, really click with. It's like finding the right therapist, right? And sometimes it takes a long time. Sometimes you never find them. But something that I absolutely loved about both of you right away was that you seemed like extremely compassionate, empathetic people. So I wonder if you could talk about the experience, how empathy helped you navigate that industry, which can often be really cutthroat and competitive. Yeah. So, you know, prior to that, I was uh, freelancing and casting. Mm -hmm. And when I switched to, it's funny because when I switched to talent management, I was a little bit resistant at first, but I had met Dale and Harris and I was like, oh, I I, like want to work with these people. I want to learn from these people. And, but I was very intimidated as far as the thought of being, you know, if you think about the stereotype of the agent or manager, Mm -hmm. it was everything against what (laughs) my qualities were. Like, you know, I just never have been like a pushy, like, you know, like make a deals kind of person. And so I had to, I had to readjust. I had to understand that like me representing people was not going to look like this the stereotype and that was okay and i could actually i think be more effective coming from this sort of human place so what i found that ended up making me a strong negotiator and basically an advocate for my clients is like we didn't take on people that we didn't believe in or we we didn't just take on people that it's like oh that person's gonna make us a lot of money like We took on people that it was like, I believe in this person. I like this person. I think this person is talented. And so then it, I, it, it, it switched in my mind from like, oh, I kind of have to be this like sales person for people to like, no, I actually know these people really well. And I genuinely know they're talented and I genuinely know that they're the right person for this role. And so I can talk about it all day long. So, you know, it was just kind of like, actually connecting with people that made that I think made me just better at my job and do it do it well in my own way and that would go the same with casting directors like you know you just you get to know people and like I don't know I think I think you can still be I actually think you can be way more effective if you approach everything with empathy yeah, I mean that's 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 it right there. The fact that you felt like you could, you could be actually better at what you did in your daily life if you focused it on the people that you were working with and and really your your passion for those people. Yeah, uh, that's exactly. Yeah, yeah, that's amazing. What are some? I guess you've talked about it a little bit with the standups, and I guess standups are meetings like I that's not a phrase that I know yes yes so yeah that that was not a word or phrase I knew before either so yeah so it's basically what it's the type of meeting where it's very prevalent in tech that people will just teams will come together they'll stand up to basically encourage people not to 
it and go on and on and on and on. Um, but it's kind of like a whip around of like, this is what I'm working on. If you have any blockers that maybe somebody else in the, in the group might help with, it's the time to do that. It's funny because in the, in the tech world, they can get a really bad rap because they can get really long and they can get really sort of draining. And so, yeah, so we, we started doing them when the pandemic first started, we maybe did it once in person before the pandemic. And the, the tricky thing was, is before the pandemic, you know, I still, I knew that it was going to take some time for people just to trust me. So I wasn't going to go in and be like, well, we're doing this meeting and we're doing this way and blah, 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 blah. It's like, let me get to know people. And then like, once they know that I'm not just doing things to show off or for my own health, then I think they'll, they'll get on board. So, you know, it was really, when we went remote, I was like, let's just, let's just do a standup every day. Because at that point, I, I don't know about you, but I was just like, I need to see another person's face. Oh, yeah, for sure. So like, you know, it was, and those were really quick. Not everybody would show up, but you know, it would always be at least me and one other person, if not one or two more. So we started doing that. And then once we kind of got that and then people were making it a habit to go, we switched to twice a week, uh, which is what we're doing now. And it just, it sort of fits better for us. And I think we've all gotten a little bit more grasp of our sanity. So it's not so dire that we need to look at another face. Well, it's about finding the right rhythm for whatever your organization is. And that's just a rhythm that works for y'all. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Yeah. Are there other uh, tools uh, that you like to use for, for engagement or for well-being among employees? What's worked? Yeah, that's an excellent question, obviously. Um, (laughs) You know, it's because we're such a small team and everyone, just by the nature of the work that we do, how everyone is pretty much independently working on projects. Right. Everyone sort of independently kind of takes care of themselves. I mean, I think, and that hasn't really come from me, but more so our founders who have said like, you know, do the things you need to do, like take the time that you need. So I have to say, I haven't really been able to enforce much more. I mean, in an odd way, I think like the Bitcoin community outside of chain code is kind of an odd one. It's gotten like it's got a really bad rap. Like there's all this like gross, like toxic masculinity shit. Mm -hmm. And, you know, in talking with uh, a lot of these people through these educational programs, I do think, you know, we've been trying different things out over the past year to see what will work, what will make people more comfortable. And so, you know, we, we experimented with sort of different types of curriculum, different ways to connect other people. Mm -hmm. So, This isn't exactly in line with your question, but I will say the work that we've done to connect people within the community, I think has really helped to strengthen like the overall morale, at least in my opinion, I think. Yeah. Well, and it sounds like, it sounds like because your company is so small, it's, there's not like a huge need for always like, let's get together and, and get on the same page because people are, they know each other. They know each other already. Yeah. And everybody kind of knows what they're working on. And this had started before I, my colleague Jonas had started this before, 
but when we were in the office, it was, we all ate lunch together, like, Mm -hmm. you know, and so, I mean, that was key. Like without that, I don't think that we would have socialized at all. So that was something that he had put in place, which I know once we get back to the office, we'll, we'll do that again. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's that, I feel like that's everything is having leadership on board for that, you know, yeah. to build morale and for that kind of well-being, for that kind of connection is huge. Are you, are you all on Slack? Yes. Yeah. Hmm. We're on Slack. Yeah. And, uh, you know, that's the thing. And that's what I struggled with a little bit when we were, when I did first start, because they're, you know, their socializing is also like talking about really in-depth technical concepts. Right you know, where I'm like, how was everyone's weekend? (laughs) And, you know, uh, just, so there was a little bit of a struggle, but I think they, people sort of started to back off of that a little bit when they realized that we, we should probably use this time to not talk about the thing that you're working on every other hour of the day. But yeah, so we're on Slack. It's not, it's not a super busy place, I'll Mm -hmm. say, but you know, oh yeah, as I mentioned, I did start that that dog channel. That's yes. really not quite taken off, but you know, I still have faith. Um, but you know, and so we, it, it it's pretty it's pretty minimal. I mean, I think once the world opens up again, and you know, there's a lot of conferences that that we go to. I think there'll be a lot more opportunity just to create these times where for people to connect, for people to feel, sure. you know. Uh, good about themselves, comfortable, all of that. Um, it's just a little limiting right now. Of course. Well, if you all want to try Zany, it's just a one question a week commitment. Okay. And it, it opens its own discussion channel and it's not work related, but I, that's not, I don't do this podcast to sell, to sell it to people. I just. Okay. <laughs> yeah, no, I'm definitely intrigued. And when you first mentioned it to me, I was like, that sounds really cool. I don't know that I'll get, I would get buy-in but it's definitely something that I, that I should check out. Yeah. I mean, it's like, we, we definitely strive to create questions that are, uh, you know, ethos, pathos logos. So there's a variety to them to kind of like tickle a variety of kinds of brains, but yeah, yeah, you know, just something to think about. Well, tell me about, um, like how you feel as a person in the tech world as like, a representative of the weird hearts on sleeves people, you know, surrounded by all of these people who are like very zeros and ones. Like what's, what's, yeah. your, what's your personal experience been with it? It was really hard at first. Um, you know, I, coming from this like theater, you know, background where I'm just so used to like a certain type of personality it was really isolating at first. Um, and it was kind of hard to, it was kind of hard to be like the people person whenever I felt so, whenever I felt so isolated, mm-hmm. you know, it, it took time though. Like once little conversations started to build up, little exchanges started to build up, I started getting more comfortable. And so you know, now it's like, I feel very respected by all of the people on the team. There, there, I think there is like a mutual respect that we have different strengths. And so now it's really positive, but it was, 
an absolute culture shock. I bet. And some, some pressure there to, to be the only person who thinks that way. So you're like, am I an, an interloper? Like, am, am I going to be welcome here like this? Am I going to be annoying? I mean, it's right. Yeah. I mean, and, and I think too, something that like can get to be a really hard sort of thing to navigate as a woman in this role yeah. Um, especially with a very man heavy team. We have one female, other female, she's uh, a researcher, mm-hmm. but when I joined, I was the only female and, you know, I, I didn't want to, and it was also my own sting instincts. Like no one ever asked me to clean anything or, you know, be this sort of like motherly figure, but there's, there is that part of me that sort of goes into that mode. And so I had to catch myself a few times of like, okay, all right, what is like, what is the choice that I make here that's actually like following like what an HR professional would do as opposed to like you wanting to like take care of everyone like in this like sort of stereotypical woman dynamic, like, you know. It's the way society has programmed us. So we don't even think about it. We just, we just do it. Yeah. Yeah. And like, you know, I... I have absolutely nothing against secretaries. I had just done it for a long time. I had been the receptionist. I had been this and all of that. And I felt like I'd kind of paid my dues. And so, you know, there was even this moment when I first started that the receptionist was like passing out the mail. And I thought like, I'll help her. And then it was like, you you can't do that. Like you just have to like, you have to sort of set those boundaries so people don't think of you as like, right. you know, the the girl who will do that type of stuff. Yeah, that's huge. I think that's huge and I applaud you because it's hard to not, it's hard to not be a helper all the time if you are a helper. Yes, exactly. But it actually builds more respect for both you and for that person if you let them just do their job and you do your <laughs> Yeah. Yes. Yeah. If you stop hovering, it does, it does help. (laughs) (laughs) I'm so happy to have you here. I, I love talking to you all the time. And, um, I like to, you know, finish my interviews with a question from the Zany app itself, just to talk about something completely unrelated. So the question I have for you is, uh, what was your biggest irrational fear as a kid? This is going to sound dark, but it, it shouldn't. <laughs> and my mom like teases me about it to this day. I'm incredibly close with my mother and she would, we'd like be in the mall and I'd be like, I have to hold on to your keys because I don't need you going anywhere. And she's like, where am I going to go? And I don't know if I watched too many movies or if there were just like this, like deep seated, like just abandonment issues. But I was like, cause she's, she always, she always jokes. She's like, we used to go to the KMB and you, you would be, take my keys and be like, just, I'm keeping an eye out on you. How old were you when you did this? So young. Like I've probably shared way too much about how insane I am, but oh. I think I was like, probably like six. Seven. <laughs> oh my gosh. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> See, yeah. you were trying to be the helper and the caretaker this whole totally time. I was like everybody's gonna be where they're supposed to be I have the keys right <laughs> I 
I love that. That opens up so much insight about you. (laughs) (laughs) If my mom listens to this, she'll be like, come on, Carol, it's gonna make me sound like a bad person. No. (laughs) She was not doing anything wrong. I was being insane. (laughs) No, you were being, you were being a good, watchful, conscientious kid. (laughs) And I hope you also got to enjoy just being a kid. And doing I, oh, I definitely, I definitely did. And that, that actually was something that I was thinking about before we started, because I've heard you ask other guests, like, how do you think that you sort of got to be this way? And my mom, we traveled a lot whenever I was little, we kind of grew up in this like very modest house, but our money always went to travel. And so I think from a very early age, I was exposed to so many different types of people, so many different types of cultures. And I think it just kind of instilled this sense of like everyone is you know the same (laughs) you know like we're all different but we kind of all want the same things and yeah I love that I love your mom and I don't even know her she's great yeah she's a good one (laughs) well Carolee where can people find out more about you or about chain code yeah absolutely so if people want to know more about chain code uh you can go to chaincode.com The other thing that I work on, you know, if you're interested about, if you're just interested to learn more about Bitcoin, I'm also the content lead at a company called Hello Bitcoin, and that's hellobitco.in. And we've got these great videos that are like just for the average person to just understand the concept of Bitcoin. So yeah, and then I'm on Twitter at Carolee underscore C. Amazing. I, I love that you got this job about Bitcoin and then you got like all the way into it and you're making content. Oh yeah. Yeah. <laughs> my, I, I still don't totally understand how it works, but I know that my dad has bought some and bought some for me and I'm like, great. I don't know what to do with it, but great. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think it was a smart, a smart call on your dad's part. So yeah, I mean the thing, and I, I actually think the thing that you would find interesting our second episode is basically how at hello bitcoin is how bitcoin can serve as like this tool for human freedom like basically Mm. helping people in parts of the world that you know are either held back by censorship or you know government interference and inflation and all these kind of things so i would recommend watching the second, you especially, the second video of Hello Bitcoin, because it's very empathy driven. That's awesome. I mean, and I, that, I had never really thought about Bitcoin in that way as a tool for human freedom. That's amazing. That, that, yeah. that's, that must really like ground your work in a real sense of purpose. Definitely. I feel like that once I understood the good that it could do for the global community, which I understood pretty early on, that's whenever I was like, okay, I'm jacked. And like, I have motivation to, to really help make this thing work by Mm -hmm. supporting the people who work on it. So yeah. Awesome. Well, Carolee Crisco, thank you so much for talking to me on what's betwixt us. Lissa, thank you so much for having me. This has been such a delight. Oh, the pleasure is all mine. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks for tuning in to episode 28 of what's betwixt us stories of working while human. You can learn more about Chaincode Labs at chaincode.com, about Hello Bitcoin at hellobitco.in, 
And you can find Carolee on Twitter at Carolee C. That's C-A-R-A-L-I-E dot C. What's Betwixt Us is powered by Zany, designed to build trust and authentic human connection in remote workspaces. More at Z-A-N-I-E dot A-P-P. Human first, everything else after.